Um, and that's really what we want to do. We want to engage. I want to engage you guys in the reading of scripture to read the scripture in its totality, because that in and of itself is a powerful is a powerful activity. Not only does it inform you of things, not only is it a, a, a um, an incredible journey of just being built up in the reading of the word, but also it's an incredible spiritual journey that in doing it, it actually transforms you. It, it changes something in you. The, the person that God intends you to be. Uh, begins to happen through that prayerful reading of scripture. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read the word. Uh, today, my intention is to read the word. We'll spend some time in reflection. That's what we call the rant. That's why we call this the read and rant. Um, we read and then I rant. Um, after the rant, I want to spend some time in prayer uh, for you guys. Um, I, I know I know uh, that's been you know a challenge for us. Uh, with the time that's been afforded, but uh, we have we have some time today, so I want to spend some time as well. But for me, my priority for you is for you to get through the word. So by around eight thirty ish, we should be done reading. And for some of you who are busy or who've got other things going on, and and you're just squeezing this in, if you just sit with me and you just read through the word, and you don't attend the rant or or you you miss all the other stuff that we do, that's fine with me because that's the primary goal here is for you to read the word because that is actually what transforms you. Much love to you, Adam. Much love to you as well, brother. Um, so um, doing well, doing well, Linda. So yeah, let's get right to it. Let's get right to it. Let's, let's get into uh, the reading of the word. We're going to be reading through Genesis 38 and we'll go as far as time affords us. And, and I want you to know what I'm praying into as I'm reading the word. What I'm praying into is, is I'm saying, Lord, what are you revealing concerning yourself? We want to hear from you, God, about what you're revealing concerning yourself. The second question we're going to ask is, Lord, what are you revealing concerning people? And then the third question that I want you to be asking as you read through the scripture is, Lord, what are you revealing concerning me? Lord, what are you revealing concerning me? Okay, these are uh, the three portions of scripture that I want you guys to engage with me in. Uh, sorry, three, three, three questions that I want you guys to engage with me in as we read through this portion of scripture. So Genesis, Genesis 38, I want to encourage you to, to turn there and I will pray and then we're going to get started. Father, we thank you uh, for this time. Lord, we submit this time to you. Lord, I submit myself to you. I submit uh, my heart to you. Lord, as, as, as I read this word, as we all read this word, people from all around the world right now coming together to read your word, to read what you have to say. So, Father, speak to us. Lord, speak to us. Reveal to us your grace, your mercy, your love, your plan, your mission. And correct us, Lord God, where we need correction. Give us clarity where we need clarity. We thank you for what you're going to do in this time, Lord, as Lord, we anticipate your spirit, Lord, moving in this time for those who are in need, for those who are in lack. We pray, Lord, that this would be a time of spiritual transformation. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen. And amen. Let's get to it. Genesis 38. Let's do it. And it came to pass at that time 
that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. And Judah saw there a daughter, a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. And he married her and went into her. So she conceived and bore a son and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son and she called his name Onan. She conceived yet again and bore a son and called his name Shelah. He was at Chezeb when she bore him. Then Judah took a wife from for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar, or Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. And Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and marry her, and raise up an heir to your brother. But Onan knew that the heir would not be his, and it came to pass that he went to his brother's wife and that he emitted on the ground, lest he should give an heir to his brother. And this thing displeased the Lord. Therefore, he killed him also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till my son Shelah is grown. For he said, Lest he also die like his brothers. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. Now in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was comforted and went up to his sheep shears in Timnah he and his friend Hira the Adulamite. And it was told, and it was told Tamar saying, look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she took off her widow's garments, covered herself with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in an open place, which is on the way to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown and she was not given to him as a wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot because she had covered her face. And he turned to her by the way and said, Please, let me come in to you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. So she said, What will you give me that you may come in to me? And he said, I will send a young goat from the flock. So she said, Will you give me a pledge till you send it? Then he said, What pledge shall I give you? So she said, Your signet and cord and your staff that is in your hand. And he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. So she arose and went away and laid aside her veil and put on the garments of her widowhood. And Judah sent the young goat by the hand of his friend, the Adulamite, to receive his pledge from the woman's hand, but he did not find her. Then he asked the men of that place, saying, Where is the harlot who was openly by the roadside? And they said, there was no harlot in this place. So he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. Also, the men of the place said that there was no harlot in this place. Then Judah said, let her take them for herself, lest we be shamed. For I sent this young goat and you have not found her. And it came to pass about three months later that Judah was told saying, tomorrow your daughter-in-law has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by harlotry. So Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. When she was brought out, she sent to her father-in-law saying, by the man to whom these belong, I am with child. And she said, please determine whose these are, the signet 
core and cord and staff. <laughs> so Judah acknowledged them and said, she has been more righteous than I because I did not give her to Shelah, my son. And he never knew her again. Now it came to pass by the time for giving birth that behold, twins were in her womb. And so it was when she was giving birth that one put out his hand and the midwife took a scarlet thread and bound it on his hand saying, this one came out first. Then it happened as he drew back in his hand that his brother came out unexpectedly. And she said, how did you break through this breach be upon you? Therefore, his name was called Perez. <laughs> Afterward, his brother came out and had a scarlet thread on his hand. His name was called Zerah. There's so much there. Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had, he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptians house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus, he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and it came to pass that these things, um, sorry, it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. And he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them saying, see, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came in to me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice and it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these saying, the Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. Hmm. So it was when his master heard the words, which his wife spoke to him saying, your servant did to me after this manner, 
that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison, and the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. Whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Chapter 40. It came to pass after these things. Sorry, hold on one second. Uh, chapter 40. It came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their Lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them and he served them so that they were in custody for a while. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison, had a dream, both of them, each man's dream in one night and each man's dream with his own interpretation. And Joseph came in to them in the morning and looked at them and saw how saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, why do they look so sad today? And they said to him, we each had a dream and there's no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, behold, in my dream, a vine was before me. And in the vine were three branches. It was as though it budded, its blossoms shot forth and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. But remember to me when it was well with you. And please show kindness to me and make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews. And also I have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I was also in my dream. And there were three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for the Pharaoh and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So Joseph answered and said in this interpretation of it, the three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh from you. Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants and he lifted up his head of the chief butler and the chief baker and among his servants and he restored the chief butler to his butlership again and he placed the cup into Pharaoh's hand but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them 
Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgotten him. Hmm. Genesis 41. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream and behold, he stood by the river. Suddenly there came up out of the river, seven cows, fine looking and fat. They fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river and the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. He slept and he dreamed a second time, and suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads blighted in the east wind and sprang up after them. The seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream. So it came to pass in the morning that his, sprint, his spirit was troubled. And he sent and he called for the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them of, the, of his dreams. But there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day. <laughs> when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me into custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, we had a dream in one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interp interpretation of his own dream. And there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him and he interpreted our dreams to us, to each man he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to my office and he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon. And he shaved and changed, every, and changed his clothing and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there's no one who can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Pharaoh answered, so, so Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me, God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, my dream, behold, in my dream, I stood on the bank of the river. Suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt. And gaunt. Such ugliness I have never seen in the land of Egypt. And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven, the fat cows. <laughs> when he had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them. For they were just as ugly as at the beginning, so I awoke. I also had in my dream, and suddenly seven heads came up on one stalk, full and good. And behold, seven heads withered thin and blighted by the east wind sprang up after them. The thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. The seven good heads. Sorry, one second here. Uh, the seven good cows are seven years. The seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven thin and ugly cows, which came up after them, are seven years. And the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. 
Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, seven years of famine will arise and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt and the famine will be deplete, will, will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. So the food shall be reserved for the land for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, and that the land may not perish during the famine. Hmm. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of, the, of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? Hmm. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and as wise as you. You shall be over my house and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne, which I will be, which I will be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed them in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had. And they cried out before him, bow the knees. So he set him over the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath paneah And he gave him as a wife, Asenath, the daughter of Patiphera, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years, which were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities. And he laid up every city, the food of the fields, which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea, until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. And to Joseph was born two sons before the years of famine came, who Asenath, the daughter of Patiphera, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil in all my father's house. And the name of the second was Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And the seven years of plenty, which were in the land of Egypt, ended. And the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. The famine was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, do. The famine was all over the face of the earth, and Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe 
in the land of Egypt. So all the countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all the lands. Um, we're going to stop at 41. We're going to stop at 41. I think that's a really good place to stop. Um, I really like what happens in 42 because in chapter 42, we see Joseph's prophetic revelation come full circle when uh, he has his encounter with his brother. So we're going to save that. We're going to save that for 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 Monday. Um, this is what we do every every weekday morning. We're reading through the entire Bible, 20 to 30 minutes a day. We're reading through the entire Bible, 20 to 30 minutes a day, usually closer to 20 than 30. Um, but 20 to 30 minutes a day, we're reading through the entire scripture. And so if you ever miss a reading, thank you for that, Jason. If you ever miss a reading, I want to encourage you to go and, um, to go and to, uh, uh, follow or not follow, but join, join the font everywhere on Facebook. Um, because you can catch the other reading rants and that way you can catch up on the reading since we're getting started with, with Genesis, we're reading through the entire new Testament. So if you, if you ever miss it, you can always catch it there. This isn't a Bible study. Um, this is a meditational reading. Um, and I, I'm always, you know, you've seen it, you've seen me do this where I'm always kind of at times wrestling between, should I just do some Bible study right now? So that way people can understand where I'm coming from. Or, or should I just do the devotion? Uh, because sometimes you have to do some, a little bit of study to make sure people have the right perspective before you do uh, the devotion. Okay. Um, but it is my joy. It is my joy for you guys to engage in this because I don't want you simply reading this for your understanding. I want to see God's people transformed. And I want to see God's people move in the power of God. And a lot of that happens through simply the discipline of engaging with God in the reading of his word through prayerful reading of his word. And those are the three questions we ask. What is God revealing concerning himself? What is God revealing concerning people? What is God revealing concerning me? So that's what I'm asking. And that's really what I want to, um, that, that's what I want to do. I want, I want to engage in those questions as, as we meditate on the reading of the word. There's a lot here to unpack from the scriptures. I'm going to point a couple of things out. This is not cohesive. I don't have anything planned. I don't have any notes or anything like that, but just some things that, that really stick out to me. And I just want to share those things, things that, that, that really pop out to me that, that I think are, are very instructive. Uh, they're very instructional. Okay. They, 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 they'll help you in navigating how you go about um, living this life in this world this world that we live in. We, as what I'm being reminded of today, is as, as Christians, we are exiles in this world. Did you hear me? As Christians, we are exiles in this world. What do you mean by exiles? Our citizenship is not of this world. We are, we are automatically outsiders. I want to make sure people understand that we are automatically outsiders. Okay. This is by default, by default, 
We are outsiders. And because we are outsiders by default, by necessity, we are outsiders. So it's not even just that we're outsiders because we're different. We're outsiders by our very nature. We're outsiders, which really brings about a cognizance that if we are outsiders, then we're not really in the business of fitting in. Make sure people understand that. as, as believers, as Christians, we're not in the business of fitting in. And the unfortunate travesty family is that we dilute the faith. We dilute our identity when we look to try to fit in with the present culture and the present time. You will always be different. If you have been chosen by Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, you will always be different. Joseph, we we'll talk a little bit about Joseph. I do want to talk a little bit about Tamar, uh, uh, the the story of Tamar. I don't know if I'll have the the time afforded for that. But 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 since we're on Joseph, let's talk about Joseph for a second. Joseph is son of Israel direct son of Israel. He's a circumcised boy. He gets kidnapped, sold as a slave to Egypt. He's a Hebrew boy. Let's just call it that. He is, since we eventually developed that, that as an ethnicity, a Hebrew boy but but Joseph is the son of Abraham son of Isaac son of Israel and now he's been sold to these northern africans these egyptians to be a slave Joseph is different he grew up with different beliefs if you learn about egyptian culture you're going to learn about, you know, pagan Egyptian culture. They had different beliefs. They had sensual beliefs, earthly beliefs. They, they, they did not serve the God of Abraham. They didn't believe in the God of Abraham. They didn't even have an awareness really of the God of Abraham. The God that they saw is the God that they served. So, so the Egyptians, these North Africans, they had these, they were very mystical people. Okay. They had, they had beliefs in, in a multiplicity of gods. They were polytheistic and, and, and culturally they were at the pinnacle, at the pinnacle of sociocultural thought at this time. Egypt is at the top of the world. Okay. Egypt is of economic influence, economic power. Um, the wealthiest people in the world lived in Egypt. Egypt was a, uh, a key port, uh, uh, had a key port, right? 
the mouth of the Nile River and all that other good stuff. So I'm giving you perspective here. Okay. So you understand where we're coming from here is Joseph comes from an unknown family. Make sure when we're reading the Bible, I want to make sure you understand there's a lot going on in human history. Okay. I just want to make sure I give you guys perspective here. When you read the Bible, these guys, while at the center of spiritual history, are definitely not at the center of cultural history. These guys weren't known. Abraham was not known like that. Okay? Abraham, Isaac, this family, they they were a small part of what was going on in the history of humans. And yet they are playing a pivotal role in the history of humans. But at this point, they're not well known. Okay? You know the Egyptians. Okay? You know the Egyptians. But the Ishmaelites and the Israelites, these guys aren't really known like that. They're known in their region. They had influence in their region. But we're talking about, like, from a, on a global scale, people didn't know Israel. They didn't know Ishmael. They didn't know them like that. But Egypt was a power, was an influence. So Joseph... An Israelite comes to, right? He's a son of Israel, Israelite, comes to Egypt, a slave. Joseph likely looks different. He, he had, he, he most likely had to learn the language. He didn't know the language yet. He probably had to learn it. And since he had to learn it, he probably had an accent. Joseph was different. He was different. Joseph was different. And he was on the lower rung of sociocultural influence in Egypt. What, take somebody like Joseph seriously? He's a slave boy. He's an immigrant. He's an immigrant slave. Joseph has no place and no say in a nation like Egypt. Joseph is an outsider. Joseph is an outsider. And there are parts of who Joseph is that you just can't get around the way he looks. You just cannot get around that. He's just he's he's not going to fit in. He's just not going to look the part. Not right now. And and part of the reason why we see that one chapter uh, in the Bible, uh, the, 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 the story of Judah, uh, Tamar, which is a crazy story when you really read it. I mean, often people just skip right over it. We could, I don't know if we'll have time to talk about it, but it's, 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 <laughs> it's a very interesting story that people sometimes overlook. But I think part of, what that story is there for is to help us see the span of time between when Joseph, the teenage boy has been sold a slave to this point where he's an attractive young man. And Potiphar's, Potiphar's wife wants a little bit of some of that. <laughs> and 
And so we can kind of see there, based off that span of time, that Joseph is a full-grown adult at this point. He's an adult man. And yet he's got no rights in Egypt. He's got no influence in Egypt. He's got no power. But he's gifted. Joseph is gifted. The scriptures tell us that he was attractive. So he was a good looking guy. Ladies love Joseph. So Joseph was gifted. Joseph was attractive. Hmm. And we know that Joseph was not only physically gifted, but we know that he was spiritually gifted because before he was sold as a slave, he had revealed dreams that he was being given to by God to his brothers. As a matter of fact, Joseph prematurely used this gift and his premature, um, his premature expression of his gift is what got him into slavery, which is another word for another day is just because you know you have a capability or that there's something inside of you doesn't mean it's time for you to project it and to display it to the rest of the world. That's another word for another day. There are people who they see the gifting that they have and they feel like, man, people need to know about this right now. No, things happen on God's time. And sometimes we prematurely step into things that end up leading to our demise. I find this all the time, even in, in the context of ministry. Exactly. Exactly right, Jason. Jesus. Jesus. Just take Jesus for a second. Oh, now I'm ranting. Now I'm already on Rambo. Take Jesus for a second. Jesus, the son of God, God in the flesh, the word that emptied himself into flesh and dwelt among us. We didn't know Jesus until he was 30 years old. Even Mary, who said, hey, Jesus, can you turn this one to why? He said, woman, my time has not yet come. Jesus knew to keep things under wraps because Jesus knew the importance of timing. A lot of us don't understand that. We think that God operates on sequential time. And that's going to, we're going to get into to where, where, where the Lord is taking today is we think that God operates on sequential time. We think that the Lord operates on um, step one, this amount of time, step two, this amount of time, step three, this amount of time, step four, this amount of time. We have this, we've been, we've been conditioned to believe that things have to happen in a certain ordered set of time. You grew up that way. By the time you're this age, you should be doing this. By the time you're this age, you should be doing that. By the time you're this age, you should be doing this. By the time, and so we go through life Right, submitting to um, uh, um, th whatever mankind says we ought to be in whatever season or time in our life that we're in. As a matter of fact, can I say this to you right now? That part of the reason why we overdiagnose children today 
It's because we don't understand that God's timing is not our timing. Oh, my child, my child is, he, he's, he's two years old and he's not speaking yet. So what? God's got his timing. Stop letting culture and society force you to do something to your child because your child doesn't fit within their rubric. Albert Einstein did not talk until he was three years old, did not say a word, did not speak until he was three years old. And yet we let culture, we let society tell us what times things should happen. We let society and culture tell us at this point, a child should be doing this. At this point, a child should be doing that. Now that you're six years old, you should be doing this. Now that you're 12 years old, you should be doing that. Now that you're 15, you should be doing that. When you go to college, right when you get to college, you better know what your career will be. You better know what your major is going to be. And right before you graduate from college, you better know who your husband's going to be. You better know who your wife's going to be. And oh my goodness, sister, you're, you're, you're 32 years old. When are you going to have? these babies sister because you know your body's on a clock and da, da 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 and so we 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 have this way we do things now where we have created our own timing for things <laughs> our own timing for things oh my goodness i'm 27 years old so i should be doing this Oh my goodness, I'm 35 years old and I haven't done these things. But my friend, he's he's 27 and 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 he's done X, Y, and Z. And look at me. I'm 27. You heard it from your parents. Well, look at look at look at so-and-so. So-and-so's done all this in his life. What are you doing with your life? As if God has a fixed rubric as to how things transpire. What if I told you that there's some things that God has planned for your life and some a gifting that he's given you, an inspiration that he's given you, it's that the time isn't right yet. And if you do it before it's time, it ends up becoming a destruction. People get married before their time. That's why it destroys them. People go to college before their time. That's why it destroys them. People, people, people go to grad school before their time. That's why people get promotions before their time. And in the end, it destroys their career. Timeliness. I find this a reality in ministry. There are so many young men that I've, that, 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 that are just, were incredibly gifted in ministry. Incredibly gifted in ministry, just great ministers, great preachers, great understanders of the word. And, and so they were incredibly gifted. And I remember, uh, what, what now it's been, it's been about seven years since I said yes to God for ministry. And I remember like seven years ago, you know, I had, I had these other ministers and, you know, they were in their mid twenties, you know, they were in their mid twenties mid to late twenties along with me. And they were, they were moving, they were moving in ministry. And a lot of them would say to me, a lot of them used to say to me, they used to say, Hey, Hey, Isaac, man, oh, man, you should be moving up right now in ministry. Like you should be moving up. You should be doing what we're doing. We're starting churches. What are you doing? My time has not yet come. Why am I rushing? Well, you know, you, you ain't got that much time. So during your times, when you, when you got it, that's when you should go. That's when you should, but, but my, my time isn't ready yet. And the unfortunate travesty family, 
is that a lot of the guys who were in ministry now aren't in ministry anymore. A lot of the guys who told me seven years ago, man, you know, Pastor Isaac, you should be you should be pastoring a church. You should just you know establish yourself and and all the stuff. They used to say all this stuff and and and, and, and you know because you know they they're moving along. They look like they're ahead of me. Some of them have fallen into scandals. Um, others burnt out. Some fell into depression. I know two that have committed suicide. As a result of the pressures of ministry. What am I saying? I'm saying don't use your gift before your time. Don't use your gift before your time. <laughs> and there are people who unfortunately feel the pressure because they're gifted to be pushed up onto a stage, to be pushed into ministry or to be pushed into this promotion. If you're not ready, you're not ready. And that's okay. Joseph, unfortunately gifted, but young and dumb. Goes and tells his brothers all his dreams, but he's still gifted. And now we get to this point. Joseph is gifted. He's, a, he, he, he's anointed spiritually. He's a really, really good looking guy. But he's different. He's different. He's, he's in Egypt, but he's an outsider. He's an outsider in Egypt. And we're going to learn later on that Joseph is not only physically just a beautiful man, <laughs> but he's spiritually anointed, spiritually gifted. And we will see as you'll read, as we're going to point to is he's intellectually gifted. That he's had, he has incredible intellectual insight. This man has the trifecta. Joseph now has been a slave. And, and let me fast forward real quick. In 41, this man becomes the prime minister, the number two leader of the most powerful nation in the world. The number two leader of the most powerful nation in the world, arguably became the second most powerful man in the world. How did Joseph get to that kind of power? <clears throat> how, how did, how did Joseph get there? How was he, how was he able man? Did he go to Harvard? Oh, he must have went to MIT. You know what? He went to Stanford. That's where he went. Oh, he got a he got a dad with money. That's it. Oh, he had connections. Oh man, he got some connections. Where did he go to college? Where did he get a degree in? Where did he study? You know, give me the whole path. 
Give me the path for Joseph, please. Give me the path. Give me, give me all the degrees. For after four years, right? He got his bachelor's degree. And then after four years, he got his master's degree, you know, and his PhD. And then he got that internship over at that firm. And then after he got that internship, he, he then, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, that's what he did, right? You know, after that internship, then, you know, he, 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 he got that partnership. Um, at the firm and then after he became a partner in the firm he just kept moving up all, all moving along and then and then after he, he he was moving along then he he decided you know what I'm gonna run for Congress so he so he ran for Congress that's what he did yeah that's it that's it so he ran for Congress and then as he, he just kept building himself up because you know he's just walking up the ladder you know it's a process guys it's a process it takes time for these things to happen you know I mean that's how these these things kind of work right? And then finally, you know, he, 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 you know, established some partnerships with some political leaders in, in Egypt because that's just the guy that Joseph is. He's just that kind of guy. He got that kind of swag, you know. And then afterwards, you know, they, they voted him in. They voted him in and he became the prime minister, prime leader, chief economic advisor for the most powerful nation in the world at that time. That's how he did it. Is it? You guys read what I read. So you know I'm being facetious. None of that happened, actually. None of that happened. He didn't he didn't go to he didn't go to college. He didn't he didn't go to school. As a matter of fact, he was sold a slave. He was sold a slave. People have said this. I'm going to get to my final point because I, I can, I could be here all day on Joseph, but this is just the word that the Lord is, 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 is really, is, is, I hope this is going to give you some wisdom because this is important guys. The way God's timing works. God's timing is a matter of preparation and opportunity. Preparation and opportunity. Preparation is not degrees. Preparation is preparation <laughs> and opportunity. Joseph went through years of pruning. That's right, of humbling. But what Joseph did was not only did he develop character, he developed himself. Joseph could not have gotten to this role unless he learned how to read, unless he studied Egyptian history, unless he studied Egyptian culture. Joseph learned the culture. He learned the economy, he learned all the, how do we know that? Because first of all, Joseph is having a conversation with Pharaoh. How did he have a conversation with Pharaoh unless he didn't learn the language? One, two, Joseph, this is what people believe. People believe, people believe that Joseph's dream interpreta interpreting uh, a gift People believe that Joseph's interpreting gift is what got him the role 
to become the chief economic advisor and the chief operating officer of the most powerful country in the world. If that's what you believe, then you obviously don't know what you're reading. Pharaoh has a dream. The seven fat calves, the seven thin calves, emaciated calves, right? After he has the dream, he gets an interpretation from the dream. Joseph uses his gift, interprets the dream. Then after Joseph interprets the dream, Joseph then provides to Pharaoh economic advice. He interpreted the dream, then provided economic advice. I would advise that in the seven years of plenty that uh, you would take one fifth of all the income earned, all the food that is, uh, all the grain um, that is amassed and store it to provide for the seven years that uh, a famine. Sorry, my brain is all over the, my brain is, you guys know where I'm going with this. Joseph got the position, not because he was able to interpret the dream. Joseph got the position because he gave good advice. <sighs> Joseph didn't get the position because he had prophetic insight. His prophetic insight gave him an opportunity to provide his intellectual gifting and contribution. So the dream got him in front of Pharaoh, but his education got him the job. <laughs> Ah, this is what the people who can often find themselves to be overly spiritual, not realizing there's a balance. There's a balance between having simply a prophetic gift and also having intellectual insight. And the unfortunate reality is as Christians is we often get so stuck in just having prophetic insight that we do not develop ourselves intellectually. Joseph was ready for the job and Pharaoh saw that. And how do we know that Joseph was capable of the job? Because after he got the job, he kept it. He kept it all the way until the brothers showed up. Joseph did his job well because Joseph was very much capable. So how is it possible, fam, that the slave boy who was sold a slave can now find himself here because during his time in captivity, Joseph was equipping himself. That means that when he was in Potiphar's house, he was reading books. He was studying. He was preparing. He didn't know where this was going to go, but he was preparing. He was studying. He was, he was developing himself. I'm going to say something that's going to get a lot of people uncomfortable here, but I'm just going to say it anyway. The Bible does not have everything. (laughs) 
the Bible does not have everything. Everything is not in the Bible. I know that makes people uncomfortable, but let me give let me let me let me give you an example. Calculus is not in the Bible. You can't read the Bible and learn calculus. Oop. The Bible is not meant to educate you on all things in the world. The Bible was meant to reveal God, his plan, his mission, his heart, and our place as a people in the mission of God. That is what the Bible is for. And the Bible has all of that. But the Bible does not have anthropology. The Bible does not have sociology. The Bible does not teach medicine. The Bible does not teach psychology. And I think that's why sometimes it gets frustrating to me when people are trying to just develop all these theories off of scripture. The scripture wasn't intended for that. That's not what the Bible is for, fam. I'm ranting. I'm ranting. The Bible was meant for the edification of your spirit, informing you of the character of God, the ontology of God, the heart of God, the mission of God, God's love for us and our place in the world as it pertains to God. But the Bible does not have physics in it. It doesn't have physics. So anybody, so when Christians come in, they go, well, all I have is the Bible and that's all I need. Wrong. That's all you need to know who you are in Christ. But it ain't all you need to be used by God in this world. Did you, did you, did you, did you, did you hear me? I, I know this is going to get some Christians frustrated because we can be so heavenly minded that we are no earthly good. And yet what God is, what, what God's mission and what God's plan is, is he's, he's on a mission to reconcile heaven and earth to reconcile spiritual and physical. Therefore there are spiritual laws and there are physical laws and they do not come against each other. They do not conflict with each other. That's why stop, stop using the Bible to explain creation. That's not science teaches us what and how things work. The scriptures teach us who and why I believe I've said this before science theory teach us what and how scriptures teach us who and why. So when people then take the Bible and say, I got the Bible and that's all I need. Come on now. 
No, that's not all you need. You need to train yourself, equip yourself. You you need to build yourself up. Why? Because if God's going to use you to bring renewal, reconciliation, and restoration to this world, you need to know things that are outside of the scriptures. The scriptures do not have everything. They have everything spiritual. So, if you look at, and look at what Paul says, if the scripture said everything, then why would Paul go and tell Timothy, right? Why would Paul go and tell Timothy, get my books, plural? Because Paul wasn't just in the scripture. He was in the books. Sorry if I rant, I'm ranting. I'm all over the place. Stay with me. I'm getting to my point. This is my point. My point is this fam is when Paul says in the scriptures, it's in him we live and move and have our being. What people don't understand is what Paul was using is, is a common idiom that was used in, 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 um, in Phoenician culture. It was a common idiom that was used among the Greco-Romans. They used to say that it was in God's or in knowledge we live and move and have our being. Paul knew the culture. He understood the culture. He studied the culture. And in studying the culture, he was able to bring the gospel to it and flip it on its head and say, it's not in that we move and have our being, but it's in him we live and move and have our being. He was actually putting what they said against themselves. He was juxtaposing God to the knowledge of culture. If you don't know anything other than scripture, you're of no use to the mission of God on earth. Whew. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little heated. And if all you know, and let me say this as well, is when we understand Man, I'm sorry. I'm in full rant. I'm sorry. I don't know how I got here, but I had to get here. I'm in full rant. But when we understand that the church was not a place for pastors to build platforms, but that the church is a place where we develop people to go and to bring the gospel into their spheres of influence. When we understand that, then we understand that each person has been uniquely gifted in whatever way they've been gifted as nurses, as doctors, as, as social media influencers, as whatever, whatever their skill, their gifting, their ability, all of that stuff that they have, they've been gifted in that way. We, as the pastors, as the, as the instructors of the word are there now to give them insight as to how to use those gifts for the glory of God. So if all you know is the Bible and if all you know is scripture and if all you know is doctrine and if all you know, if that's all you know, then you might be a good teacher of the scripture and that might just be your job. But call, being called to equip those who are going to do the actual ministry. Because I've always said this before, real ministry does not happen in the church. Real ministry happens in the marketplace. Real ministry is happening on TV. Real ministry is happening in the, in the hospitals. Real ministry is happening in the schools. Real ministry, ministry is not happening in the building family. Okay. That's why I, I always find it weird. It's, it's always been odd to me when people say, I need to quit my job to do ministry. What do you mean? What do you do now? Well, I'm a businessman. That's your ministry. That is your ministry. <laughs> running your business is your ministry. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm just an anesthesiologist. I don't really get to do God's work. You, you're doing God's work. That's that. That is God's work. <laughs> you, you are the church. 
You bring the church everywhere you go. Okay? So when you, and so me or, or the teachers of the scripture are there now to teach you how or who and why they bring purpose and mission to the gift that God gave you. Joseph did not become the chief administrator of Egypt because he was spiritually gifted. Joseph became the chief administrator of Egypt because he was educated. He, he, he equipped himself. And yes, he was a slave boy and maybe he didn't go to college and maybe he didn't do, but you know what he did? He sat down and he read the books. He sat down and he read economic theory. He sat down and read Egyptian culture. He sat down and read the Egyptian. Um, so so he, he instructed himself because he, he, he was building himself up to be who God called him to be. He didn't know where he would be going, but he was getting ready for where God was taking him. So your gift, your anointing, whatever God is calling you to, that gift makes room for the equipping that you've been given. Oh, all right. Let me make sure you, I want to make sure I teach this. I want to teach this well. I want to, I want to teach this well. We are not, we as Christians, we will always be outsiders. Christians will always, always be outsiders. Okay. So if you're trying to fit in with the crowd and just fit in, it, it, it doesn't work. You're diluting your identity in Christ by trying to just fit in. However, even if you don't fit in, your gift will make room for you. The problem is, is that we say we're not of the world. Yeah, we're not of the world, but we're still in the world. And we're called to go to the world and in the world to bring gospel influence to the world with every unique gift that we've been given. So Joseph, who is a Hebrew. Joseph is an Israelite. He does not fit in with the North Africans. He doesn't. He doesn't fit in with the Egyptians. But you know what he has? He has spiritual insight and he's educated. And when the opportunity came, he interpreted the dream. And there he is standing there he is standing on the stage before the throne of Pharaoh and he gave him economic advice and Pharaoh hired him on the spot. Pharaoh hired him not because he was gifted, not because he was, he was spiritually anointed. Him being spiritually anointed got him to Pharaoh. His education and training got him the job. So how do we navigate as people who are in the world and not of the world? We don't look to fit in. We look to be of value. Did you hear me? We don't look to fit in. We look to be of value. You need to add value. It don't, it don't matter if you're an outsider. If you're adding value, they will accept you. 
Oh, oh, here's another good one. Here's another good one, fam. Ready? Ready for this? Here's another good one. Here's another good one. Man, the world just hates me because I'm a Christian. No, the world just hates you because you bring nothing to the table. <laughs> the world, the world just hate the, the the world might hate what you believe. But when you bring nothing, you will be. Let me say this. I want to make sure everybody understands this. You will be despised. You will be hated. People will people will be angry at you and will be angry at your faith and will contest your faith. But you can't tell me that you can't be of use at all to the world because the people don't like you because I'm a Christian. I lost my job because I'm a Christian. No, you lost your job because you weren't good at what you did. I know that's tough. I'm giving, I know I'm giving some bitter. I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, of course there's economics and everything, but there are people who will say I lost my job because I was a Christian. When, whenever somebody says that they lost their job because they was a, they were a Christian or they're not getting promoted because of their faith, often I find that they're just making that as an excuse, as an excuse. No, you're good at what you do. And when you're good at what you do, whether they agree with your faith or not, they keep you. They keep you, fam. They keep you because you're bringing value. And as you bring value, you bring the kingdom. As you bring value, you bring the kingdom. So your gift, that means your prophetic gift, your prophetic anointing, whatever God, whatever spiritual gift God has given you, he didn't give it to you to just use inside of a church service. Okay, that's not that's not ministry. Church services are not ministry. He's using it to open doors for you outside. So when people see the peculiarity of who you are, they see your peculiarity that um, that invites the curiosity to you, but then they'll see your giftedness and that will give you the opportunity. So you don't need to compromise your faith. Just be really good at what you do. <laughs> Ooh. Just be really, really good at what you do. Joseph is in Egypt, but Joseph is not an Egyptian. And yet Joseph now has the most powerful position in Egypt, aside from Pharaoh. Joseph doesn't fit in, but now he's telling them what to do. Let our gifts make room for us. That's the title for today. Your gift will make room for you. Let your gift make the room, but equip yourself along the way. Last word. Notice Joseph's path. Notice Joseph's path, y'all. Joseph didn't have step one, step two, step three, step four, step. He was a slave up to that point. He went from zero to hero in one meeting. He went from slave to one of the wealthiest men in Egypt 
in one meeting. He went from somebody that nobody would ever listen to to now the most powerful man in Egypt after Pharaoh in one meeting. So stop listening to people in your life who say you should be at this point. In, at this point in life, you should be here. This is where you ought to be right now. Stop comparing your season with somebody else's season. Your path is not somebody else's path. Your path is not someone else's. Nobody's actually ahead of you. You understand that this person again, that's, that's the, that's the destructiveness of comparison is we'll say this person is ahead of me. Everybody was ahead of, of Joseph at his stage in his life, right up to that meeting. And Joseph became the most powerful man in the world after Pharaoh. What am I saying to you? What I'm saying to you, family is stop comparing, stop thinking, man, this person graduated college, but look at me. I'm still trying to get in. It don't work like that. This person, you know, they have two kids, but, but I don't have any kids yet. You know, what's going on, God? Stop. God's timing is different. It's different. In Christ, you are never behind. And I'm sure there's some people in here who are in a season of discouragement. And your discouragement is not because God hasn't answered you yet. It's because you've been comparing yourself to other people. You've been comparing yourself to other people and because you're looking at other people and you're seeing, man, this person's way ahead of me. We're the same age, but that person is here. That's where your discouragement is actually coming from. Stop comparing yourself to people. God has his own timing. And the way God works is, is God um, in, in Joel chapter two. I'm sorry. I'm ranting. I'm sorry, fam. I just want to make sure you get this word in because you got to hear this. Some of you who are on here need to hear this. In Joel chapter two, he says, he says he will restore the years. In Joel chapter two, he says, I will restore the years. What does that mean? That means I will take what the years took from you and bring it to you that year. God can give you five years of progress in one day. God can move you in his own timing. So stop, so stop comparing yourself to somebody in their season. God has his own plan for you. This person seems so far ahead of me. Keep working on your craft. Keep doing what you need to do. Keep making yourself better. Keep building yourself up. Stop worrying about where other people are. Stop letting the discouragement from the devil keep you from doing what God's calling you to do. Continue to do it. Nothing will stop you from building yourself up. Only you can. Nothing will stop you from training yourself. You got YouTube. You got, you got everything out there to equip you and to train you. I'm going to give you one testimony, one testimony, and then I'm done. When I got into ministry, mind you, anybody knows my story knows, uh, I graduated from high school, went to college, got my master's, uh, my bachelor's degree in college and my master's degree. I got them in four years. Then I went and got my PhD. Along that time, I was also a music producer. So I was producing for a lot of A-list artists that many of you have probably heard of. And I remember just having that journey with God. And once I had that journey with God, I, I gave up all of it. I gave up all of it to go into ministry. And I remember sitting down and just, you know, I was just new to the scriptures, just new to the word, just new. And I remember going to meetings with other guys who were my age, you know, in their mid twenties who were preaching, 
these these guys were the preachers and they were the popular preachers and you know they're the guys that everybody listened to and and they were the future this is the next one this is the next big preacher this is the next great preacher and da 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 and all this other stuff and i remember used to i remember sitting down at ihop with some of these guys or wherever we were going and i used to envy them i used to envy them and i used to hate myself doing in the same process why because all I could think to myself is that guy was preaching since he was 17 years old. Man, if I just if I had just started preaching when I was 17, I would be so much further along. Or I would say things like, see, he went to he went to Bible college. I didn't I didn't get to go to Bible college. So he he got to get more equipped than I and I than I was. And then I remember, I remember just guys who were in my age group who had their masters in divinity and, and had their um, doctoral degrees in theology. And I used to just envy them because I said, you know what? I just wasted so much time. I wasted so much time not doing what I was called to do. If I only just used all that time, I'd be so much further along in ministry. I used to feel that way. And then... A year into ministry, I remember preaching at a church, and I remember the pastor coming to me afterwards, and he said to me, after I preached, he said to me, hey, son, he said, what, what did you study theology? Like, what did you study? And embarrassingly, embarrassingly, and he changed, this pastor just changed my whole perspective, brought life to me. I told him, I said to him, I said, I, I didn't study uh, theology anywhere. And I said it embarrassingly, like sheepishly, because I, I felt like he would, a lot of people used to knock me for not having a, a, a degree in, in theology or a biblical degree. And so he says, um, he says to me, you didn't study anywhere, no college, no university, you didn't go to seminary, and I was like, "No, nah, I, I didn't. I didn't go. I didn't go to to seminary. No, I, I just read my word a lot, and I, I read as many books as I can, and I, I, I go to the libraries, and I, I get all I can to learn as much as I can about God's word because I love His word so much." And he says to me, he says, "This is what he says to me. He says, son, don't ever study anywhere.'" Study for yourself. And I said to him, I said, wait, what do you mean? He said, the whole time where you were preaching this word, all I kept thinking to myself is, I need to send the men to go to the school that he's going to. Because this man knows his word and he can preach. So it doesn't surprise me that you didn't study anywhere because the insight that you have on the word and how you preach it, I've never heard anyone preach it this way and say it this way. He's given you a unique perspective that if you had gone and studied somewhere, you would not have seen it. So don't study anywhere. Just stay in your word and study your word. I remember I, we were there. He ministered to me that day because I began to weep. I began to weep because the whole time I kept thinking I'm a nobody because I don't have a formal education in theology. And no one will ever take me seriously because I don't have a formal education in theology, but I love Jesus. So I'm just gonna share everything that Jesus 
taught teach, is teaching me in my time in his word. I spent hours and hours and hours. I would spend hours in his word because I loved him, not because I wanted to know more to preach, just because I loved Jesus. All this is to say this family is I've been invited now to three different universities to be the dean or the head of their doctoral programs in theology. And yet I do not have a doctoral degree in theology. I have a doctoral degree in economics, but I do not have a doctoral degree in theology. <laughs> and I've had many pastors and theologians who I've sat down and we've had conversations with, and they've all said to me, they all say, you know, we, we just, can you walk us through your journey in the word? Because you're obviously, there's something different just about you. I don't know how you got here. I don't know how you got here, but tell us how you, and you know, I said, I said, I just kept studying for myself. I kept, I kept just seeking more from God. There are people trying to develop curriculums off of my journey in the word up to this point. Because they said, whatever your path was, we need to, we need to follow guys through that path. What books did you read? Who did you study? This, this, and that. I, I say this to say that, of course, a lot, I can't credit myself. A lot of it has been just the grace of God and God's calling on my life. But for a long time, I used to say, man, if I just, if I had just started when I was 16, like all these other young preachers, and if I just did all the stuff they did, man, I'd be so much further along in ministry. And yet family, when no one knew who I was, I'm, I'm still not that known, to be honest with you. Nobody really knows me like that. And yet even now, as I'm studying and as I'm building myself up, and yeah, I'm starting a ministry and, 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 and it's moving along well and all this stuff, but, but throughout that whole season, I'm over here, you know, I'm always, there's always that temptation to compare myself to that other, what is that, that other 35-year-old guy? What is he doing? Oh, snap. Look at what's that other thirty-seven-year-old guy? Oh, he's thirty-seven. And he's here, man. I got I got work to do. Or he's he's thirty-two and he's here. Oh my goodness, I got work to do. There's so many of us that are thinking like that. Let me tell you something right now, family. In the last three years, I have seen God move me in ministry and elevated me in ministry in a way that I cannot I cannot give any credit to it but God. Like people, there are people who have said to me, you came out of nowhere. <laughs> Where have you been all this time? And you know what I say to them? My time has not yet come. My time had not yet come. Where you been all this time? Like, wow. I remember uh, I preached, uh, I spoke at, at Hillsong. Uh, I spoke at Hillsong and... Uh, Hillsong Phoenix. And I remember, uh, it's funny because the, the person who was driving me, uh, I, I Ubered to the church. This is a massive church, right? And I'm Ubering there. And the Uber driver's like, where, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Hillsong. And I'm like, oh, wow, you're going to Hillsong. Yeah, that's a cool church, you know, la, 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 la. So, yeah, um, are you a local? Like, what are you doing here? I said, oh, I'm here to preach. I'm here to, to speak today. And, and, the, and the person was like, oh, you, you're the speaker? I was like, yeah. He's like, how come I don't know you? 
And I'm like, because you shouldn't know me. Like, I'm a nobody. <laughs> you shouldn't know me. I'm a nobody. It's like, yeah, but you're, 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 you're speaking a Hillsong. And I'm like, yeah, I know. That's kind of weird, right? And then I'm going to all these big stages. And, and God's putting me on all these big stages. Before COVID, I'm like, what am I doing on this stage? There's 5,000 people looking at my face. What am I doing here? And I'm just preaching. And all of a sudden, God is showing me how your my journey for you is going to go from you in a little box in your room to a big stage. And I don't do it for the stage, by the way. I don't even care for the stage. But I'm giving you context here to show you that what God wants to do with you has nothing to do with your timeline and your path and your order of things. He gives us all different timelines. He gives us all different timelines. So family, just know this. Stop comparing yourself right now to other people. They're not further along than you. They just have a different timeline than you. So what do you do in the meantime? In the meantime, equip yourself, train yourself, prepare yourself because your gift will make room. But when you get in the room, be sure to come with preparation. Be sure to come with preparation. Be sure you trained yourself well. Be sure you equipped yourself well. Be sure, be sure you came in right. Amen, family. Father, I thank you, Lord, for reminding us that our gift makes room for us. Lord, thank you for gifting us, Lord. You've gifted each and every one of us uniquely. Uniquely for your glory. And I just pray, Lord, that you would teach us, Lord, to depend on you, to trust in you, to rely upon you, to not seek to compromise or to fit in, but Lord, to be peculiar in who we are, but to be profoundly gifted and trained and equipped and anointed in who you've called us to be. Father, I bless you today. And I thank you for all that you're doing, even in this time, as we have spent this time in your word. And I say that in your name, we pray. Amen.